0: Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. If you found Ephesians chapter 6, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the reading of the honor of the reading of God's Word, we're going to start in that fifth verse, read down through the ninth verse, and good Lord willing, we'll finish all of that today. So it reads like this in the fifth verse. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the the heart with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Father, this morning we have worshipped you through our singing, our fellowship, our children's time, and now, Father, we open your Word. The most important thing that we can do in any given gathering is to hear you speak. So this morning, I ask that you steal our hearts. You calm our minds, you speak loudly that we may hear you, and in doing that, Father, that you make very little of me and very much of you that you may be seen for who you are, the Almighty God. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul's instructed us in some of the the most challenging relationships we have and now to glorify and how to glorify God in those relationships. He talked about our love relationships with other believers back in the fifth, uh, fourth and fifth chapter. He talked about uh, our submission and uh, submissive and loving relationships in our marriage there in the fifth chapter. He moved from that into the obedient and caring relationships of parents and children in that family. Family relationships. So we've covered those, and now Paul turns his attention uh, to the most overlooked relationship that I believe that we have the ability to glorify God through. I was thinking about it this week as I started studying this. You know, the average person, the average person spends about eight to ten hours a day sleeping. Anybody get over top of that by any chance? If so, we'll change the message to something totally different. But the average person spends about eight to ten hours a day sleeping. Uh, <laughs> the average person also that is of working age spends about 8 to 10 hours a day working, out doing something. Whether you have a job, whether you're doing something around the house, whatever it may be, you spend about 8 to 10 hours a day working. If you add those up on the upper end, we're now up to 20 hours. If you add it up on the lower end, we're only up to, what, 16 hours or so. This leaves only about uh, 4 to 8 hours a day in the relationships that I just said Paul had already instructed us in, our Love relationships, one with another as believers. Our love relationships, submissive relationships between husband and wife. And the time that we spend in our caring and obedient relationships with our children. So here he spent a bulk of a couple of chapters discussing the relationships that we put the most or the least amount of time into. (laughs) So the largest amount of time we have in a relationship of any type during our regular day is in our work. Is in our work. Yet most people think of work only as that thing that means that we have to, to earn money and to provide the things that are necessary for life. I just jot down a couple of those things. See if these happen to be some of your needs. To have a house to sleep in. That was top of my list. To have electricity so when I'm inside of that house, things actually come on. To have food. You know, you couldn't be a good Baptist unless you were looking at how can this money be used to purchase something to eat. So we have that. Also to have clothing. It's not that I don't like any of you, but this would be a very difficult message if none of you had made enough money this week to buy clothing to come. It'd be a difficult message for you also if I had not been able to buy clothing to come today. So I'm thankful that we're able to do those things. And, and we look at jobs a lot of times or our work to, to provide those things Hopefully, at the end of the day, when when all is said and done, and we purchase those necessities for life, don't we all hope there's a little bit left over that we can move from our need list over to our want list and pick up something off that want list that we that we're desiring to have? Maybe we're in need of a new car. We'd like to change some things out, do some work around the house. We hope at the end of the day, there's something left over somewhere that we may be able to to purchase some things for ourselves off of our want list. But here. Paul gives us a totally different look at that work relationship. He doesn't come at it from the angle of how we meet our needs through that, how we supply the things for ourselves. He looks at it in a very different way. If you'll notice that relationship that he talks about, and if you're using the King James Version instead of the New King James, like i just read to you out of, it uses words like servant and master. (laughs) This day and time... That seems to be a hot button now, doesn't it? Um, But he does use those words, servant and, and master. In our day and time, if we were going to use the common vernacular for the actual words that he used there, we would use employee and employer would be the way that we would understand this. We are in some of the strangest times in history, I believe, when it comes to working relationships. Just over the course of time that in my short life that I've been part of the working world, things have changed dramatically, dramatically. It's hard to find an employee now that really takes pride in what they do. You pull up to a restaurant at a drive through window because you're in a hurry. You place an order at a speaker. They give the guy about 20 feet to get that order pulled and put in a bag. And I don't know if you're like me. I've learned it's Russian roulette. I might as well pull up to the speaker and say, give me a meal. And they say, which one? I said, it really doesn't matter. Whatever our order is, probably not what you're going to put in the bag anyway. You know, you wind up getting whatever they happen to pull off and put in the bag. You call someone to come do some work at your house with the expectation of what it's going to be. And and before it's over, it winds up being something totally different. Because there's just not the pride any longer in, in what people do for a living See, it seems to be all about a paycheck. I made some notes that says employees want smaller workloads, more paid time off, and greater pay to do it. Does that sum it up? We've got got an employer or two here in the room. Doesn't that sum up what the employee wants? Well, be careful because here's what the employer wants. The employer wants to do more with fewer employees, (laughs) greater production per the employee that he has. He wants greater control over those employees and for it to be done at a lower salary cost. Doesn't that sort of fit the bill for the day? You know, we get rid of the older workers now that get in my age up in their 50s because we can replace them with 221-year-olds and come out with more workforce at a cheaper price. We have employees that'll jump jobs for 50 cent an hour. We have those that think that they should make $15 or $20 an hour to wait on us at a fast food restaurant because that's what they need to live. But they've never taken the opportunity and never used the tools at their hands to get an education to get a higher paid job. They feel like it's owed to them because they're just willing to show up. That's the world we live in today, in the work world. It's upside down. I remember the day that you used to go out and mow grass for 50 cents a yard, and you were happy to do it. If you did a good job, they'd give you an extra 50 cents. Now you made a dollar cutting the same yard because you did a good job, and you stopped and raked up the piles of grass. Now you pay a person $60 an hour to mow your grass, and some days you have a difficult time figuring out that they even knew you had an entire yard because they leave part of it. places. You know, the, the whole world has just, just changed. Yet at, at the uh, end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, God really created the work for us to do. God gave us the talents to do it. And and all that we do, even in the work that we do, the eight to ten hours a day, should be for God's glory. And that's really where Paul's coming at here. He's not talking about the dollar relationships or who has insurance or who gives the best program to their employees. He's speaking to our hearts and that what he's speaking to our hearts should come out in our hands. Yet at the end of the day, is any of the reasons that God created work in the list that I gave you, is it about a paycheck? Is it about having less to do for more money? Is it about the items that you buy at the end of the day? No, it's really not. See, I believe the answer to the question of why God created work and gave us the ability to do that, Paul answers very clearly for us right here in this section of Scripture. Now, I know some of you are going to say, Pastor, I'm past the age of working. You still do things. You still work. I think you're going to see today how there's application for you in that. Some may say, well, I own a business, and I have to do what I have to do to make money. I think you'll know by the end of the day today why you don't make the money you desire to make in the business you own if you're not doing it God's way. So I believe the answers lay here. And since we're already short on time, we're going to dive in. I'm going to talk fast to you right quick. And, and if you have questions, uh, we'll just we'll let you ask Wendy. She's heard the message already, so you can talk with her. Here's the first thing that I noticed. When I looked at this, the first thing I noticed is the practice of employees, the practice of employees. This is in the grand scheme of the, the whole section of the message where Paul's writing about God's glory in the workplace. And the very first thing I noticed was the practice of employees. In Ephesians 6, 5, it says this, bond servants be obedient to the Those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Paul uses the word here for bondservants. That's actually the word that he uses. A bondservant is actually a servant by choice, by the way. Uh, when the time of servanthood came to an end, and there was various reasons that a servant would come to the end of his servanthood, sometimes a servant was became a servant because he owed someone something and he became indentured to that person, and he was placed in a, a servant position until that was paid off. Every seven years, according to the old law, the servants were released, and they were allowed to go anywhere they wanted, and Unless it happened to be a Jubilee year came in the middle, which was every 50 years. And then they were all released. So there were times as, as we look at servanthood, we think of a person being placed as a servant and they're a servant for life to this person. Well, that wasn't the way it worked back in the Roman times. There were times that they had the ability to be released and go, go do something of another nature. But a bond servant was different. A bondservant, uh, when it came time to be free, to have his master uh, set him loose, he would choose to stay with that master first question that came to my mind when I thought about that was why. I wrote down a couple of notes because they'd been treated very well. See, in that day and time, the lower class people did not have much of an opportunity to make it. It's a lot like our world today. And when they wound up with a master, an employer, so to speak, in our vernacular, that took care of them, they were grateful for that. And they would choose as a servant, even though they were released from duty, to stay to become a bond servant, um, They were also uh, willing to do that because their needs were taken care of. At the end of the day, their children had a place to stay. There was food on the table. There was clothing. Yes, the work was hard. But at the end of the day, they realized that they were taken very good care of. Another reason they chose to become a bond servant is because they had come to see that their master was, in fact, good, that their master was good, and, and, wanted, and they wanted to remain with him because of his goodness. See, these servants then were known as bond servants. Most times, these bond servants would have their ear pierced through with an awl, and there would be a hole left in their ear that would signify that they were a willing participant with this servant or with this master and were not up for sale to another master. So all of you ladies who have piercings this morning, no, we're not going to go there. That was that wasn't part of the message. That was. Remember, I told the kids earlier, the brain goes in gear, head of the mouth. That was. I just missed one, but anyhow, they would have their ear pierced, it's, it's signifying that they were willingly staying with this master. See, this is really how employees are today. Do you, you see the list that I just gave you? That's really why you're an employee today. We're employed today, we we take a job and we work to gain income to support our family. So we're looking to gain that income. As long as we're treated fair, we feel like we're paid for the work that we do, the work does not become so burdensome or cumbersome that we can't do it, we stay. In the old days, it was not, I say the old days, in my early years, it was not uh, very unfamiliar for a person to take a job and stay 30 or 40 years. Work in one place because they were treated fairly. They had a work that they knew how to do. They were appreciated for that, and they stayed. As we read about bond servants, that's employee relationship. We are, in fact, bond servants to our employers, as Paul is talking about in this particular message. First, Paul says that we are willing bond servants. We are willing bond servants, and as willing bond servants, we're to have the right behavior as a bond server. That's the first thing that jumped off the page when he said, be obedient. Be obedient to those who are your masters. Be obedient to those who are your masters. We are to do those things that are required of us in our job. We are to do it without complaining. <laughs> I don't know if any of you work a different place than I do. You obviously do. But if you're around my place, that." Complaining seems to be the top of the list sometimes, above the work that actually needs to be done. It says as Christians, we should be the most obedient, willing employees that are there. We are to be obedient when we desire to be obedient because we like what we're being asked to do. But we're also to be obedient when we don't desire to do the things that we're being asked to do. We are to obey, as the Bible says, in all things, unless you're asked to do something immoral or completely against what God has instructed us to do. It says our obedience should be to God first and our employer second in this particular relationship. So he says that we're supposed to do that. If you happen to have your Bible still open over in First uh, Peter, as a matter of fact, in First in Peter, in First Peter chapter 2, Verse 18 he says this to his servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good in general, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief. Notice conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongly. But then he goes on to say, For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, This is commendable before God. He says both in the good things and the bad things, you should be obedient. He goes on to say why in verse 21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And he puts these words uh, there in verse 22 out of Isaiah who said, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He says we're to be obedient just as Christ was obedient. We are to patiently obey in the favorable and the unfavorable things, but most particularly in the unfavorable things. For it is in those times that you most demonstrate Christ's likeness. And see, that's our purpose. That's our purpose. It's not even about the job. It's about that others, others may see Christ in us. So second, Paul says to us there in Ephesians that we should also have the right perspective. For he says in the, in the second part of that uh, fifth verse, he says, according to the flesh. So he said, be obedient to those who are your masters. Then he goes on to say, according to the flesh, where they have the proper perspective about this obedience as an employee. The Christian employee's uh, submission is given because of the employer's authority. Remember, he's been speaking about authority to us. All the way from the authority within the church to the authority in marriage to the authority in the family. And now he's talking to us about the authority in our workplace, our employee-employer relationship. So he says that we are to be submissive because of the the authority given to this uh, boss, this master, so to speak. We have to understand that it's a temporal submission because it is temporal authority. See, ultimately, it only lasts as long as you're employed for them. It's not a lifelong submission to them. It only lasts as long as you're employed. And it only applies to the physical relationship. For the spiritual relationship, we know that our employer is not our master in our spiritual relationship. A Christian in an authority position, say, in a church, such as a deacon or a pastor, um, who is working for another brother, like if I were to go to work for... I'd never work for Shabby. Let's say I went to work for Sporty. I went to work for Sporty. Well, I'm his pastor when I'm in the pulpit. But when I work for Sporty, I'm his employee. Guess who is in the authority position when I'm at work? That would be Sporty. Even though I am his spiritual authority as his pastor, he is my physical authority in the work relationship. And I am to respond in that manner when working. I'm not to pull the pastor card because I don't want to do something. I am to be obedient to that. So that's the second thing that had the right perspective. The third thing that Paul says to us is we're to have the right attitude. He says there that not only are we to be obedient to those who are our masters according to the flesh, but we're to do it with fear and trembling. <laughs> How many of you show up at work on Monday morning scared to death of your boss? Anybody? could be a good possibility if you were to ask some of my employees, they would have said amen right there at that particular statement. I hope not, but it's a possibility. But we're to, sh- to do it with fear and trembling. This is not because we are afraid of the employer or what the employer can do to us. That's not the overarching idea in this. We are to honor and obey our employer because of his position. It's the same phraseology used when it talks about our relationship to our pastors and, and the leaders in our church and in most especially our relationship to God in the fear and trembling because of the position that they are set in. Even if we cannot honor and obey the person of our boss for who he is, we are to honor and obey him because of Christ's example to us and the fact that he's been placed in the position over us by God. It's like we used to hear up until our current administration, even if you don't like the guy in the office, honor the position. Apparently that rule has changed. But we are to honor that position. See, God puts the authority figures in our life himself he selects those and honoring that person actually honors God and that's what Paul is pointing to he's saying here by honoring by having that proper relationship you're actually honoring God at the end of the day a true christian willingly and graciously submits to those whose authority is over them willingly and graciously does that the place where we actually work and spend our time the eight to ten hours a day, should be seen as our mission field to the world. Not all of us will be called to go to Africa. Not all of us will be called to to serve in a home like we were in yesterday. Not all of us will be called to go onto the technical mission field. Yet each of us are called to the mission field because we're told by Jesus, go therefore into all the world, to the uttermost parts, to Samaria, to all places, and show them Jesus. And see, that workplace that we spend the bulk of our day is our mission field. And you never know how God will use your obedience to the authority in place over you at work to soften the hearts of that person and those around that the gospel message may be spoken into their life. I will guarantee you this disobedience to the authority in your life in the church will shut the door for the gospel to be spread. And what Paul is saying here, by being obedient to those God has put over you, the door will be opened wide open for Jesus Christ to be proclaimed, whether it's through your work, through your word, through your deeds. And that's the heart of what Paul's saying. Fourthly, Paul says that we're to have the right commitment. In the very last part of that fifth verse, he says, In sincerity of heart as to Christ. Sincerity of heart. That's the right commitment. The reason we are to be obedient to those who are set in authority over us is because of our heart. See, it is with complete sincerity and love for the Lord that we are to do our jobs. See, when you wake up on Monday morning dreading to go to work, you should wake up and say, I'm not dreading to go to work. I'm excited to go to work because I get to go and tell someone about Jesus. Even if I never open my Bible, even if I never quote a scripture, just the obedient act to the authority set over me preaches Jesus to those around us. Instead of dreading for Monday to come, you should go to bed Sunday nights and let it come quickly. Let it come quickly that I may share the gospel with someone there before Jesus Christ comes back and that person does never, not ever have the opportunity to hear. Oh, how it would change our workplace if we woke up on Monday morning saying, I can't wait to get to my mission field to tell someone about Jesus. And see, God has given us the ability to do certain things in our life, and He expects us to be the best at those things. I can't help but think about 1 Thessalonians. I was going to try to keep the Scripture limited since I was out of time, but uh, so be it. We're going to preach all of it. Uh, Ephesians, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 10, uh, the second part, it says, But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. See, Paul tells the Thessalonian church to do what God has gifted them to do and to do it well. Do it from a heart that is filled with Christ. Not criticizing, not bragging, not undermining others, but to do it in obedience. That our needs may be met, yes, but that unbelievers may take notice. That unbelievers may take notice. So that's the right commitment. The fifth thing that Paul says to us very quickly is that we need to have the right motive. We need to have the right motive. In the very last part of that fifth verse, he says this, as to Christ. See, when he throws those words in, all arguments outside of the Bible disappear for me. Because what he's just said is that what we are to do, even in our work, is as if we're doing it to Christ. That's convicting. That statement to me is very convicting. For those of you who are still in the the employment world, in the work world. Yeah. Did the the job that you did on Friday, if Christ was your boss, would you have done it the same way? If Christ is your boss, would you show up tomorrow morning for work with the same attitude? See, I know when I think about it. If Christ were the one that I was going to walk up to and answer tomorrow for my job... I would be at the top of my game. I would show up with a smile on my face early. I would do anything that he asked. But see, what he says here is that we're to do all these things. We're to do all these things with the right motive. And that motive is, is if asked, doing it for Christ. Remember, everything that we do should lift his name high above all other names. We're to do everything with the glory of Christ in mind, the power of Christ in us, and the love of Christ showing forth from us. Everything that we do, everything that we do. I think about 1 Corinthians 10, 31, I believe, where it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Don't you think if it's important enough for you to say how you eat your food should be to the glory, that definitely how you do your work should be to the glory of God? And see, that's what he says. We want the world to see the glory of God. It must be central in all that we do and everything that we think about. It can't be something that we do on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. It can't be something that we do just a couple of hours a day because we stop to read our Bible. It has to be central to everything that we think, to everything that we do, right down to the simplest of things of how we eat and how we work. If you want the world to see Jesus Christ, you'll live Jesus Christ 24-7. And that's what he's saying. Everything that we should do, everything we do right down to the very physical labor that we do on a daily basis should be as if we're doing it directly for Christ. You know why? Because we are. See, when we're called his children, that means everything that we do should be as if he is standing in the room with us. If our world operated under those conditions, how much different would it be? Sadly, if our church operated in the world like that, how much different would it be? Because the failure doesn't fall at the feet of the ones who don't know Jesus. The failure falls on the feet of the ones who do know Jesus. See, Paul's not speaking here to the lost. He's speaking to the church. Why would he bring it up if it wasn't an issue? He's bringing it up in a very mighty way, I think. Fifth, Paul says very quickly, we must also have the right diligence. In verse 6, he says, It's not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond service of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Doing the will of the heart uh, from the heart. We're not to do our jobs obediently to be seen by others. We're to do our jobs obediently because God is looking at us at all times. That's why we're to do it not with eye service for others. Not so that others see us do it right. We need to do it realizing God's looking at us at all times and all that we do. If you want to know somebody's looking over your shoulder, I'm telling you they are. And it's the Almighty God looking right over your shoulder in everything that you do. Right down to the very work that you do during the day. So he says we're not to do it as, as eye-pleasers. We're not to do it as men-pleasers. We're not to do it just to make man happy. We're to do it to make God happy. He says we're to do all those things. He says there in verse seven, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord, not to me. And we're to do our job with goodwill as doing it to Christ that God may be glorified through it. We're to do our work as a service to God. It's not to earn a paycheck. It's to earn the favor of God and to show the world his son Jesus Christ we're to work out of goodwill not having to be prompted or compelled not having to be begged not doing it grumbling we're to do it with a happy merry heart because God's getting the glory for it that's the way we should work in Ecclesiastes 9:10 it says whatever your hand finds to do do it with all your might in Colossians 3:23 it says whatever you do do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men It says do it. Do it as if you're doing it in the house of God every time you do it. It also says knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Do what God has called you to do, trusting that God will do what he said he will do. Get up in the morning and do the thing that God's gifted you to do, trusting that He's going to do what He said He will do. And what did God say that He will do? One of the favorite verses that most people quote. One that I love is Philippians four nineteen. And God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God has promised that He's going to meet your need, but you know what He didn't promise? That he's going to meet your need while you sit on a couch being lazy watching Oprah in the afternoon. What God said is, I've gifted you to do something. Do that thing I've gifted you to with all of your might for my glory and you'll never want for anything. If you really believe God is who God is, you'll do your work as if you're doing it at the throne of grace. Trusting that God will supply all of those things. So very quickly, we saw the the practice of employees in five minutes, I'm going to give you the principle of employers. Give you the principle of employers. In, in Ephesians 6, verse 9, it says this, And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. There is no partiality with him. What are the same things? I think you can step right back to the, the sixth verse there where it says, Not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as bond service to Christ. He's saying employers, I like you expect your employees to work. Don't do it just so that you're seen. Do it in the same manner for the service of God. Employers are to serve their employees with the attitude of Christ to put their needs ahead of their own, to love their employees with the love of Christ, to truly care for their needs, not to rule over them with a iron rod. It's not that they're there and you can whip them as much as you want to get them to work. They're part of your family when you hire them. And especially since he's talking to the church, he's talking about that brother in Christ relationship. If there's anybody that you should treat with the love of Christ, it's your fellow brother and sister in Christ. And if you have an employee that is a brother and sister in Christ, you're going to treat them like the Bible says, which means you're going to think of them before you think of yourself. You're going to make sure their needs are met. You're going to love them with the love of Christ and you're going to set the example of who Christ is to them. And he's saying, do that because it is God who directs your path. Our decisions should be based on God's principles and our decisions should have the welfare of others in mind. You're to lead, yes, from a position of accomplishing God's will, not your own. You should look to accomplish God's will. How do we know that? Because at the end of verse 6 it says, doing the will of God from your heart. We are to lead from a heart that's totally devoted to God and that's directed in all things by Him and Him alone. The third thing that He says is that we should lead as a a brother in Christ. We should lead as a brother in Christ. See, Ephesians 6 9 says that whether uh, it says that we are a master, yes, but there is no partiality with God. There is no partiality with God. Quite often, when people come into authority positions, they think they're better than the others around them. But if you'll notice in the Word, that whole thought process is turned upside down. For to be a leader, to be at the front of the line, it says you must actually be in the back of the line. For it says the first will wind up last, the last will wind up first. He says that we are to serve as Christ served. When they gathered around the table, the last time they were together for a meal, if you remember, Jesus took off his cloak, girded himself, took a bowl, and went around and washed the feet of the ones at the table because there was no servant set in place to do that. He did that himself. And he says that we are to lead our brothers in Christ just as Christ led. Why? We're all created equal in the eyes of God. The ground at the foot of the cross where the blood of Jesus Christ flowed is level. There is no one greater in the kingdom of God than another. God looks at all of us with compassion and hung the same Son of his upon the cross for each of us. You see, Romans 3.23 says that very plainly for us when it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a pastor, there's not a deacon, there's not a choir leader, there's not a congregation member, there's not a boss, an employee, a corporation CEO that gets around that verse. It says that everyone from the top of the greatest kingdom to the bottom of the lowest job all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in that same book of Romans... In chapter 2, verse 11, it sanely plates this, For there is no partiality with God. What does that mean? That means even though we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, it doesn't matter your stature, it doesn't matter whether you own the company or whether you work there, that God loved you enough that He hung His only begotten Son on a cross for your sins. When you go to work tomorrow and you look at your boss or you look at your employees, you know what you should see? A sinner either saved by the grace of God or needing to be saved by the grace of God. And you should picture yourself locked arm in arm with that person standing at the foot of the cross on level playing ground. I think bosses would treat their employees different. I think employees would treat their bosses different if they realized at the end, we're all going to stand before the same Jesus and answer for all those things that we have done for him if we're saved and we're going to stand for before him if we're unsaved and answer for why we never accepted him as Lord and Savior. There'll be one Jesus, one Lord, one Savior. And we have the opportunity to either be all in the family or you have the opportunity to be out of the family. But for eight or ten hours a day, your mission field should be to show those that you work with how to be in the family. See, we are to be mutually submissive to each other because we have the same Master. And that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Within that, he places authority over us. And by being in obedience to that authority, we are actually being in obedience to our Master. By being the one in authority and treating those who we are in authority over, as Christ says we should, we are showing the example of Jesus Christ to them. What difference does that make in your life this morning? First and foremost, I hope you realize that for any of this to apply to you, you must first know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe this morning you've never come to the decision that Jesus Christ is going to run things in your life because you have really messed it up. And that's what sin is. Sin is the breaking of fellowship with God because you have chosen to do it your way. God's Screaming at you this morning, saying, There is a way. There is a way to be right, and that way is through my son, Jesus Christ. And by accepting him as your Lord and Savior, he not only saves you from the sin and buys you from the death that you have in sin and places you in the glory of God in heaven, but he actually becomes a Lord and Master. And that Lord and Master takes you from what he raised you from, sanctifies you until you're glorified in his presence in heaven. Maybe this morning you've never made that decision. Today could be the day. Let tomorrow be a new day for you at work because you have a new life within you because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and He's changed you from within to change that which comes out. Is He the Lord of your life? Is He your Savior? If not, that's where it starts this morning. If He is your Lord and Master, look at your work relationship. Is it a mission field for God or is it a mission field for the devil? Because that's your only two choices.